Good to have you all here tonight as we begin our study, as we continue on through 2 Samuel. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. And this is part of that, of the Bible, that there's been sermons and sermons and sermons and sermons. I tried to look at some of this and I got five verses, but on each verse, I looked around, and my goodness, there's 500 pages written on, on each verse. Just, my goodness, I was just buried with it. And uh, all kinds of stuff. So what I want to do tonight is I, I want to just grab the practical stuff out of this for you tonight. That's important to you and me. I, was, I finally just folded up everything, prayed over it, and started making my own notes. There's things here that we need to see, very practical things. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask God's blessings, and uh, then get into this. Uh, I think we can find a few things that will really help us out if we'll practice it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, forgive us of sin. Open our understanding that we might understand the Scripture. We pray, Heavenly Father, for a filling of the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would just have free course amongst us tonight. And now, Father, we ask you, in Jesus' name, use your word in our lives, Heavenly Father. May the Holy Spirit make application. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, in times past, I've asked several people that were in trouble, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? It's amazing to me that I think probably half of them just looked at me and said, well, it just, it just happened. It just happened. And uh, sudden opportunity is a strange creature that the devil uses. Sudden opportunity. And <clears throat> I realized as these guys said that, they, were, they weren't lying to me. They were telling me the truth. That just, just an opportunity just happened. Just, you say, it just happened. Oh, man, get out of here. It didn't just happen. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Sudden opportunity. Impulsive sin <coughs> always leads to impulsive action. You hear me? Impulsive sin always leads to impulsive action. Uh, and then after that comes, well, I must do something to hide my sin. When we look at it, we realize it's all about self. And uh, all of a sudden, self rules. Because what happens then 
It's not about relationship. It's not about loyalty. It's not about integrity. All of that means nothing. When somebody begins to act impulsively because everything is just about them. So when somebody, now listen to me right before I get into this. So when somebody acts impulsively, they're king. And so loyalty, integrity, relationship, mean nothing. Here we have Uriah, a very, 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 very faithful man to David and to Israel. Very faithful. But when it comes to David's impulsive sin, all of that meant nothing. And the wickedness of it, we'll see, is the reality that David even wrote a note, folded it up, gave it to Uriah, and it was his own death warrant. That's about as low as you can get. But you see, impulsiveness, once it captures somebody and they try to hide their sin, they have no loyalty to anybody but self. In the notes there, if you look down to verse 5, <clears throat> there was four words that David didn't want to hear and that brought about much trouble. And it's the last four words of verse 5. I am with child. Now, That was a statement that really stirred David to action. Proverbs 6.32, He that committeth adultery sinneth against his own soul. But let's read this verse. Listen. Write it down. Leviticus 20, verse 10. Leviticus 20, 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Whoa, the law was pretty strict on that, wasn't it? All right, now, with that little bit of introduction, let's go to verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent to Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. All right, learn something. 
And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab. And David sent Joab. Hmm. The Bible says when kings go forth, David thought he was just going to go beyond God and choose his own substitute to do what he's supposed to do. Know this. It'll never go right when you're doing wrong. You can't do right, do wrong, do right, do wrong, and expect the right thing to happen. It won't. So never expect things to go right when you, when you make a decision for wrong. God set this forth when kings go forth to battle. That was God's decision. David decided to do something else. When there was a time of rest, the Bible says that God gave them rest. David wanted to create his own rest. There's all kinds. We could, we, I could spend the rest of the hour easy on just verse 1 without even moving. Looking at this. Now listen. If it's time for battle, go to battle. Don't get somebody else to do what you're supposed to do. David was the servant of the Lord. David was the commander of the troops. David was the king. David was the one that had God with him. But David sent Joab. You see, David... All of a sudden here, lost sight. Now watch this. That it came to pass after a year was expired. See that? After a year was expired. Time can be one of our worst enemies. We humans have this ability to lose concept of things in time. That's why this is written there. That's why this is prefaced. This verse is prefaced with that. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go to battle, there was time, time to rest, time to play, time to think about something else, time to consider, well, I don't think I want to. I think I want to just... Ease back here and take it easy. Time can be our worst enemy. And time allows us to think about things we shouldn't think about. Yeah. What's, what's that old saying that the old folks always say all the time that, that the idle, idle mind is the devil's workshop? You see... 
time gave David an opportunity to take away urgency, to take away the feeling of responsibility. Time has a way of numbing us, blinding us, callousing us against responsibility. Time has a way of causing us to be cold rather than hot when it comes to what we should be doing. David saw no urgency for him to be in the battle. Time had cooled him off. And so he sent Joab. One of the worst things that can happen to men in combat <coughs> is a time of peace. Men grow very comfortable really quick. Men become very careless very quick. People become very careless very quick. Time causes us well, it worked yesterday, it'll work tomorrow. Mm, I don't know if I'd think about that too much. So he sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. You see, verse 1 starts off after the year was expired, and it ends, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. When you relinquish your responsibility, you'll find that you'll place yourself in a place of imminent danger. Why? Because the suddenness of opportunity. We people, boy, we, we, we lose our ability to discern things. Go to verse 2. And it came to pass in the eventide. Well, well. Now we know something's going to happen, don't we? Just because of that statement. And it came to pass in the even time that David arose from off his bed. He was bored out of his mind. Of course, in that time period, it was a common practice in the afternoon when it was hot, you know, like down in Mexico, they take a siesta, right? So everybody was out, bored, out fighting. David was bored out of his mind. He takes a little nap in the afternoon, gets up, bored out of his mind. 
I want you to know, I've heard a lot of people say, retirement is not what everybody makes it to be. I've heard a lot of people say, no, man, I had to go back to work. Retirement, I was bored out of my mind. Retirement's not what everybody says it is. We work real hard to retire and realize I'm so bored to death, I got to go do something. Now listen to me. And walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Uh, doesn't it say back in Genesis that the sons of God saw the daughters of men? Right? Men, there's a weakness in us. Ladies, there's a strength in you, a power in you, even if you're ugly. Get somebody ugly to go right along with you. Oh, no. oh yes. Oh. <laughs> she she laugh out of that. Just think about this. All the way back. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. Do you know what the outcome of that was when you read it? A downfall. You see, what we find here, now the way these houses were built they were built in such a way, I'm sure Uriah and Bathsheba had, had built this, their house there. And they, they never gave it a thought that somebody on the roof over there could look down in their little hoff over here and see. Because that's the way their houses are built. That way... The man and the woman could go out there and clean up and stuff and not be seen. Next thing I want you to know. Not only does the suddenness of opportunity, but there's a power in opportunity. And so now, isn't it amazing how the devil can orchestrate something and set something up for you and me. Man. Of all the things set up, nobody would have ever thought, especially Uriah and Bathsheba, that somebody over there on that rooftop would look over here. See, opportunity comes when you're not thinking about it. <clears throat> opportunity happens 
David wasn't thinking about it until he walked on the roof. And Bathsheba wasn't thinking about it. You see that? See, like I asked this one fellow, I said, man, why'd you do it? He said, just, just happened. Just the opportunity opened up and I just done it. It's amazing how the devil sets traps for you people and me, for us. I mean, the devil looks around, he figures, now, how can I do this? Well, now, you build your house right there. Make Make yourself feel safe in that house. And you've lived there for a long time. Everything's fine. Hey, David. Yeah. Don't go. Don't go, David. Stay here. Don't ask God. Stay here. Stay here. Stay. Got something for you. Isn't it amazing how innocent things can be done and what was done in innocence can turn out to be an opportunity for great sin. You see, ladies and gentlemen, opportunity, sinful opportunity is only controlled by godly character and integrity. Amen. And morality. If you don't have it, there's got to be a reason. Now listen to me. You ask people, why'd you do it? They'll give you a reason. Even if it's a lame one, like, I just done it. There's other people then you ask them, why didn't you do it when everybody else was doing it? They might not be saved, but yet they'll have a reason. So the thing that we got to look at here now is the suddenness of opportunity, then the power of opportunity. What's going to cause you and me not to fall to the power of opportunity. It's got to be, like it says in Revelations, we left our first love. Our first love should be the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father loved the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And the only way that we're going to fall And the only way we're going to move ourselves into sin is to lose our first love because if we love him, we're not going to want to offend him. Here's Christ. He died for us. He loved us so much. He died for us. And guess what? If we really love Christ, we're not going to want to offend him. And so what we find then, that love begins to control us. It begins to control our yeses, our noes. It begins to control our morality, our character, our integrity. 
It begins to control everything about us. Now watch this. Verse 2, And it came to pass in an even time that David arose from off his bed. What do you think David was thinking of when he got up off his bed? He wasn't thinking about Bathsheba. And walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman. You see, idleness, boredom is the devil's workshop. He saw a woman. He saw a woman. And then it says, the woman was very beautiful to look upon. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. Hmm. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. How many ugly women do you think get jobs at Playboy magazine? Right? Yeah. You see, the devil capitalizes on what appeals to men. The devil capitalizes on what appeals to women. I mean, just just think, I, I heard this one girl talking one time, and she, you know, they had, what was it, Playboy, then they had Playgirl magazine come out back in the 60s, I think it was, something like that. And I said, what in the world's that? She said, well, it's all, it's all men. It's all men. Listen, do you understand that the devil is going to cause you, men and women, to desire something that you shouldn't have? The woman was very beautiful to look upon. You see that? I don't care what it is. If the devil can use it to ruin you, he'll do it. You get it? Man. Whatever it is, he'll put a desire in you. I, it, you know, it's just like children at Christmas time, man. They, they want this toy, they want this toy, they want this toy, they want this toy. You buy it for them and you take it home and pull the toy out of the box and play with the box. I remember a fellow that, boy, he wanted a boat. 
He wanted a boat. He wanted a boat. And he wanted a boat. And he had this boat in his head, man. And I mean, he, he dreamed about it. He talked about it. He fought with his wife over about it. He wanted this boat, I'm telling you. He got the boat. And the first thing he said, now get this, he bought the boat. He didn't have that boat 12 hours. And he turned around and said, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Why is it that most people regret comes after the fact? Huh? Why is, you know, the devil just drives you nuts until he gets you. And then once he's brought you down, almost immediately you start regretting what you've done. Well, let's see, let's see what happens here now. So she was very beautiful to look upon. Okay. Opportunity. Let me check into this a little bit. I got a question for y'all here. Listen, I got a question. Now, Nathan hadn't knocked on the door yet, right? Nathan's going to square it away. Well, let me ask y'all a question. Verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. How many wives did David have already? You see, listen. When you start lusting after something, you lose sight of what you got. How many families have I seen get torn apart because the husband or the wife, they lose sight of what they got. They don't appreciate what God has given them right now. They always want something else. What do you mean you want something else? My goodness, most of us have so much in our house right now, it takes 10 dump trucks 10 days to get all the stuff out of the house. That's right. But we want more. You see, the reality of it is this. We lose an appreciation for the things that God has already given us. When the devil pushes our want button, we go blind. When God wants to keep us under control, the devil wants to come along and man just grab a hold of our want button and push it. And now I, every time I open a magazine, I want something else, want something else, want something else, want something else. Never satisfied. The devil loves you for that. The devil loves people that's never satisfied with what they got, what God's given them. Why? Because he knows he can control them, tempt them, try them in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Sudden opportunity is a 
is, is a powerful opportunity. Why? Because it's so sudden. I mean, it's just there in front of you. Well, verse 3, And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now verse 4, And David sent messengers and took her. David sent messengers. When you read some of the old history books, like I I told Brother Gary right before the service started tonight, this is one of those passages of scriptures that there's just so much. I mean, mean, there's 500 pages on each verse here in these first five verses. That's why I had to quit. But there's something here I really want you to see. There was one little statement in one of these books given the history of this. That boy, I mean, boom, it caught my attention just like that. Here's what it said. It said, back in those days, if the king stayed back, there was always a certain group of vile men that hung around uh, the, 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 the king's palace uh, to do whatever wickedness the king would desire. So I read that. I read it again. and It, it was listed in two or three different other places. And then it said, David sent messengers and took her. And I thought, I get it. I get it. In verse 3, it's declared that's Uriah's wife. But in verse 4, David sent messengers and took her. The men that took her were some of those vile people that hung around the king's house waiting for him to bid them to do something. And I realize this. We don't need people like that around us. You don't need, no wonder the Bible says, come out from amongst them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. You don't need, I don't need, we don't need people like that around us. Somebody, we need people around us about the time you get eat up and I get eat up and we get eat up with a bad case of the dum-dums. We need somebody around to say, hey, whoa, 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 no, king, no, 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 David, I'm not going to go get her. That's Uriah's wife. Do you know what the law says, David, if you mess with her? You die, she dies. No, no, ain't going to do it. Sorry. If you want her, buddy, you go get her. I ain't done it. But instead, these vile people that would always help the king do wickedness, buddy, they took off and took her. They went down and got her. They took her. I don't know about you, but 
Let's be honest. If you got friends like that, you don't need enemies. Let's be honest about it. You don't need people like that in your life. Listen. If there's anything that just really twists me all out of shape, it is when somebody's trying to get somebody else to do wickedness. Now watch this. Then we find something out about Bathsheba. She wasn't a very cultured, loyal, godly woman, was she? No, no, no. No, she was just a good-looking, immoral married woman. That's all she was. She sure wasn't a praying Hannah, was she? No. No, Bathsheba was... She pretty low life herself. <clears throat> Look at the rest of the verse there. It says, she came in unto him and he lay with her. <clears throat> well, she didn't have much of a problem with it, did she? You see, when immorality meets immorality, it'll always match. David took her. <clears throat> so now you've got this sudden opportunity. Then you have the power of opportunity. Then you have selfish temperament, which leads to your besetting sin. Now I'm going to make a statement. And I want you all to write it down, write it down, and write it down. Here it is. Entertainment forms false images of good and fun and happiness. Entertainment forms false images of good and fun and happiness. Got it? We always try to do something that's good and fun and make us happy, don't we? But these things only make us happy for a moment. For a moment, don't they? The only thing, there's only one thing in life that makes me happy. Only one, just one. That really just caused me to be totally happy. And that's this. When I see God working in people's lives. Other than that, there's not a thing on this earth that makes me happy in that sense. Nothing. I have happy moments, you know, with the family and, and you and things like that. You know, we had a good time. But the only thing that really makes my soul happy is when I see God working in people's lives. Other than that, it just there ain't nothing else that does. Entertainment forms false images of good and fun and happiness. All right, so David sent messengers and, and, and took her 
And she came in unto him and lay with him, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned into her whole house. Isn't that amazing? She just committed adultery with the king, and she just goes back home. But verse 5 happened. And David sent these messengers, took her. And then verse 5, And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now that changed everything. What did their immorality do? What did their immorality do? Number one, it brought about the murder of an innocent man. What did their immorality do? It brought about the murder of an innocent man. Two, what did their immorality do? It added to the corruption of King David. It added to the corruption of King David. How? He planned the murder of Uriah to hide his sin. Now listen, folks. Know this. When somebody's trying to hide sin, they'll do anything. Anything. They'll do anything. You might say, well, that snake won't bite. Yeah, it will. They'll do anything. Because it's all about them. It's all about them. Remember something. The most dangerous people you'll ever be around in your life is people that just have a great love for their self. Self-centered people are dangerous people. They might act like they have loyalties outside themselves, but they don't. They don't. I've, I've seen, listen, her and I, we're soon to be married 57 years. We've been around, we know something at least anyway. And I've learned this. I don't care if it's a marriage or however it looks. You take one person in that marriage that's just totally self-centered and they want the world to revolve around them, I, guess what? They, they, have, they have no loyalties. Their loyalty is totally to themselves. They might act like they love their husband or they love their wife or they love their children only to a limit. Only to a limit. When it comes to anything else, watch them. Watch them. They'll spend the money. They'll spend their own time. They'll do whatever. You know why? Because everything revolves around them. Listen, self-centered people are only loyal to one person. Themselves. Nobody else. Number three. Both were guilty of adultery. Both were guilty of adultery. So according to Leviticus 20.10, both of them should have died. Now, 
I'm going to jump ahead and I'm going to make a statement here. I want you to think about it. Once Uriah was killed, Bathsheba mourned the death of Uriah, her husband. But you never read of her mourning for her sin that caused his death. You see, when people get wrapped up in stuff, the only thing they see is what they want to see. They're not going to see truth. You get it? Why is it so important for us to have a consciousness about ourselves? You know something? How do fellas say it's a dog-eat-dog world and we're all wearing milk-bone underwear? A lot of truth to that. You know that? Now get this. If the devil, now listen to me, folks. If the devil can get you not to consider the consequence of your actions, he can get you to do anything. You hear me? If the devil can get you to not consider the consequence of your actions, he can get you to do anything. You hear me? If the devil can get you to that. Let me tell you what the outcome of this was. This one act and what it brought about. From this day forth, David's own house was the scene of horrible crimes Feuds, scandals, and miseries of every kind. This one act brought all of this turmoil into David's house. No telling how many sermons you read about this with David's children. There's Absalom's murder, and there's, there, there's David's murder, and here's David's incest, and here's David's adultery. And man, you just see all this in David's family. All of us in this room. When we go to bed tonight and our feet hit the floor in the morning, we need to intentionally make a decision 
to leave a heritage of righteousness, godliness, holiness. A heritage of work ethic. A heritage in our family. A heritage of something that's going to lead the members of the family through life. The importance of loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. The importance of loving the Lord Jesus Christ for dying on the cruel cross of Calvary for you. Amen. Being severely beaten, nailed to a cross, raised up. Even saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We need to leave a heritage of moral quality behind us. Amen. Let me give you an illustration and then I'm done for tonight. I was at a conference <clears throat> and just, I was just, lunchtime, everybody was sitting down. I just sit down, I was by the table by myself. And this guy come over and sit down. He was just a member of a church. He said, uh, preacher, let me tell you something that you can use. He said, my family, my dad, my mom, he said, we all went to church. And uh, he said, when my mother died... Everybody talked about how good she could sew and how good she could cook and so on like that and how she helped everybody. When my dad died, everybody talked about, boy, he was a great mechanic and he could do this and that and he could build Empire State Buildings and the whole shooting match. He could do anything. He said, I sat there in both those funerals and cried. He said, I told my wife, here's the car keys, you go on home. What do you want to do? I'm going to sit here at this grave, come back in a couple hours and pick me up. Me and dad has to have a talk. He said, I come to the conclusion right then that I needed to live my life in such a way that when they die, they'll talk about my love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That when I die, they'll talk about Dad was a man of prayer. Dad read his Bible. When I looked at Dad, he was reading his Bible. My dad witnessed to people. He said, I don't want to die and leave a heritage. Oh, he was a good man. He growed good corn. He knew how to fix his tractor. He said, I don't, I don't want to leave that type of heritage. 
He said, I want to leave a heritage that when I'm, when I'm dead and they're having my funeral, they're all going to say, that guy loved God. Dad talked to me all the time about God. Amen. He said, I want to leave a heritage of people saying, that, that guy knew his Bible. That guy read his Bible. That guy was a man of prayer. When Leonard Ravenhill died, at his funeral, his preachers got up and talked all about his books he wrote and all this kind of stuff. His wife looked over at another preacher that was sitting there next to her, and she said, there's one thing that all of you preachers have not mentioned. She said, you know what? You know why he could do what he did? You know why he had what he had? She said, my husband was a man of prayer. Amen. His wife knew it. His children knew it. And the people that were close to him knew it. He left a heritage of impeccable character, Christian character, Christian integrity. David left a heritage when you, somebody talks about King David, oh, he killed Goliath, yeah. How did it turn out for David? Well, man, he messed up and ruined it from that point on, you know. When you go home tonight, you sit down. You talk to God for a minute. And, but when you get up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, you beg God and beg God to give you what it takes to leave a heritage of godliness, holiness, prayer. That you'll leave a heritage that will actually make a difference in somebody's life. That will actually challenge somebody's life to be a better servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That they might want to die having that type of heritage. Let's all stand if you would please. As we go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll take just a couple of minute break here and get set up and have our monthly business meeting, okay? Real quick. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you at this time, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, dear Lord, for everything. And now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, dear God, that you would take these words that's been spoken from this pulpit today and use them in the hearts and lives of everybody that's here. Dear God, work on our hearts, dear Heavenly Father. I pray that as the seed is sown, that at some point, Lord, there might be a harvest to reap. We know that God, as you say, one man sows and another waters, but God gives the increase. And so, Father, we pray that the words of God that's been shared today 
from this pulpit would fall upon good ground and multiply. And Heavenly Father, may we all take our Christianity serious. Very serious. And may we all, dear Lord, strive to leave a heritage behind us that would challenge others to live a life for you. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Join me if you would, please. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Amen. Take about three or four minutes. We'll come back.